Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we're learning to invest like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and other great long-time value-type investors who buy a relatively small number of companies and hold them for a relatively long period of time. They're buying them well below intrinsic value, which is what they're worth, and they're selling them when they get up to intrinsic value or more if they're not continuing to grow quickly. And this is what we're learning to do. And the reason we're learning to do it is because my daughter, Danielle, is learning to invest from me. And I've written a couple of good books about this. And we just finished a book that is now out called uh, Invested, where we take um, Danielle through the process of learning over the last year or so, over a year period of time. And um, You, Charlie Munger, and Warren Buffett, all together. All together, teaching her to invest. And it is a really good book. If you haven't read it yet, take it. Take a second and, and grab it and read it. It's super good. And it's a real good basis for this podcast and for any kind of investing you're going to do. And the reason we're taking our time doing this, the reason we want you to learn this stuff is because there is a major paradigm shift going on in the in the world of investing philosophy from what's been the paradigm for the last, gosh, uh, 40 years, which says that the market's always rational and it's priced correctly and that Price and value are the same thing in companies, and therefore the only way to invest is to diversify broadly across enough stocks in the market um, that you get the general market result, and you can't beat the market. Nobody can beat the market. And of course, if everything that theory holds is true, then they'd be right, that if all prices and values are the same, then there's no way to beat the market. But it turns out that there's quite a lot of investors who do beat the market regularly, Warren Buffett being the chief chief one that's known. Um, And they beat it because those things are not true. And they're rapidly being proven to be not true by Nobel Prize winning economists like Robert Schiller and Richard Toller, um, who are proving and getting Nobel Prizes for it that the market is from time to time significantly irrational and that often stock prices diverge from the values in a very significant way. And when that happens, if you are knowledgeable and if you have studied that particular company, you can buy a company that's a really wonderful business and you can buy it on sale. And when that happens, you don't have to fix toilets, you don't have to fix roofs, you don't have to deal with renters and tenants, you don't have to be a genius. All you have to do is be patient and wait for that oscillation in the market or that fluctuation in the market to happen because of some great emotional change, either greed or fear, and then step in and buy. And that's it. That's what we're learning here. Is that pretty good? Was that a good? It's too long. It's too long of an intro. (laughs) But I kind of like it. It was it was very good. It was a little long. It was very good. And I was thinking while you were talking about how there's been a paradigm shift that I've been doing a bunch of interviews lately in support of our book, which I'll say the full title because I enjoy it a lot. And we spent a lot of time writing it. So it's called writing, Invest- writing the title, actually. Writing the, the title. Book. No, I'm I'm not joking. Like it took many iterations <laughs> and many people weighed in and nobody got it right until dad and I one day got on the phone and spent about an hour and a half just brainstorming and kicking subtitles around and we finally got it. 
Yeah. And then we sent it to everybody else at the publisher and said, this is what it is. No more comments. So here's what it is. And they all were like, of course, it's oh, it's fantastic. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Invested, how Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger taught me to master my mind, my emotions, and my money with a little help from my dad. There it is. Asterisk to fill town. So, <laughs> um, so I've been doing all this press and interviews in support of our New York Times bestselling book, Invested. And not, I was just thinking when you were talking about the paradigm shift, but from um, this idea that a large, broadly, ba- broadly diversified fund is kind of the gold standard of what you do with investing. Um, not one person has actually asked me about that as a viable alternative to what we do here, to what we, how to put it, to to do like sort of, what I'm thinking of is stock picking, but I really hate that term. So what we do is choose individual companies and invest in them and buy it as though we're buying the whole company. And that's what my dad and Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett have taught me. And, um, And so as I've been talking about that with, other with interviewers not one person has asked me oh like why don't you just go buy a broadly based mutual fund what they have asked me oh so my point there now i'm getting rambly and long my point there is that i think in ex- i think experientially we are seeing that this doesn't work all that well like we've gotten now 30 or 40 years of people really watching the stock market, it being accessible to us. We've got 20 to 30 years of it being really accessible to us through the internet and being able to have direct information from companies. And I think people are starting to see, and I know I certainly do, that it's just not, it's not a bad method as far as returns, but it's not necessarily a great method as far as returns. And, um, and so what they do ask me is what about buying the index in a low cost, low fee method, like an index or an ETF. Everybody has asked me that. Mm -hmm. And it's a great question. But it's just interesting to to see that shift in in how people are thinking about this. And I think Buffett and Munger, and frankly, you, Dad, have made a huge difference in getting this message out there. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. I, I am really sort of fascinated that um, this ETF phenomenon, you know, that ex, ex, an ETF is an exchange traded fund that tracks an index. And the largest one is SPY, which trades, you know, millions and millions of shares every day and, um, and is used by traders a lot to trade as well as by long term investors. And it's used in other ways as well by lots of institutions. Um, and what it is, is, is just the very most diversified fund you can have without having to pay the fees to a fund manager to manage it. And the interesting thing about all of these kinds of, you know, ways of getting away from actually picking a good company and owning it, um, which are promoted by the virtually the entire financial services industry, because they love to do this stuff for you. It's not challenging for them in any way. There's, there's no great, you know, great uh, fee earning capacity on the on the part of financial no, now that we have computers doing everything it's ridiculous to charge i mean they just they just 
put your money in the index. I mean, it doesn't take yeah. a brain. And of course, they subtract your rate of return by whatever their fees are, <laughs> because the index is only going to give you the market return. My, and then you've got a financial advisor, so minus his fee to do the thing you could do on your own anyway, which is just to buy SPY in your 401k. That's all. And, and of course, the 401k programs, many of them are set up such that you must buy mutual funds and they don't offer you the SPY index. Um, and for that bit of genius, they charge even more fees. So there's a big game on and you're the, you're the, if you don't know there's a big game on around your money and your retirement money, um, it's like not knowing who the sucker is at the poker table. If you don't know it, you're <laughs> it. And well, you are I'm it. sorry to tell you, dad, that's, 95% of us. It is, unfortunately. And of course, that's why they keep raking in over $100 billion a year in fees for virtually doing nothing. They're not doing anything. These guys are not beating the indexes. They don't attempt uh, to beat the they're indexes. They're doing a lot of stuff. Like, let's not be totally obnoxious about it. They're doing a lot of stuff. It, and what you're saying is that the stuff does not create the results that you want. Well, let me tell you that what I think the stuff is that they do that, that is has value. It's not to deal with investing. It's about how to properly handle taxation, trusts. Um, these are for wealthy people. Oh, they you're talking money. about financial advisors. These are the people who are making the fees, right? You give them, you put your money in a 401k, somebody's managing that money. Well, of course. No, people me, who create the over. broadly diversified funds charge fees as well. Little tiny ones. No, oh, they charge decent fees. I looked it all up. How much for SPY? Well, well, now I forgot. Um, it's in the book. I think, I th no, and for, SPI, for SPY, you just buy it. That's the index. I'm talking about a fund that is chosen companies. Oh, that has, you, of course, those guys charge you. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's fees. what I'm talking. No, no, no. To, to buy the index, that's, that's not anything. Yeah. Um, I'm not so talking, talking about here, here, a fund me, where somebody picked. Then, yeah. by the way, we're getting to the technical indicators today, despite right. your best efforts to avoid it, Dad. Well, it's sort of just, you know, a backwater of misinformation. So we're just, <laughs> we're just going to put it out there, which of course is why I'm just sort of walking away from it. But the, uh, I almost regret that I ever brought it up. But the, the, the index investor, like, like the index itself is just a, a, a mathematic or, or a structure. It's just a concept of all, maybe in the SPY, it's like 500 big stocks in America. And the SP, s and organization- When he Standard says SPY, he means the Standard & Poor 500 Index, which and is- No, it's the ETF. SPY no, is the e actual exchange-traded fund. The, I know. But what, what it tracks is the Standard & Poor 500 Index, right. which is simply a list of companies- that then is indexed into an average number. And right. then they created these financial instruments called exchange traded funds, which then track that index. Right. And what makes an ETF different from, um, from buying, buying the index, so to speak, is that you can buy it directly in your brokerage account. So you can right. buy it and sell it um, yourself on a given day. That's exactly right. Well done. And Look, I they don't charge. Something. Here's the thing: they don't charge much for that. The SPY, S and P, that's Standard and Poor's, creates this this exchange traded fund to be a very very low cost way to buy the entire market. Um, 
in other words, the S&P 500 is considered, quote, the market, right? And and so this is a really inexpensive way to do it. And I think it's something like 15 basis points, and it? like something really cheap like that, maybe 10, maybe eight. It's just almost not a fee. And um, in other What's words, a basis, a, a basis point, point is- like a one one hundredth of a percent or something? Exactly like? what a basis point is. Oh, is that really, is that yeah. what it is? So there's 100 basis points per 1%. So if your advisor's charging you 1%, he's charging you 100 basis points. And if the exchange-traded fund, SPY, is charging you 8 basis points, it's 8 tenths of a, or 8 one-hundredths of a percent. Very, very cheap. So those guys don't charge much for that. And you can buy that SPY anytime you want. If they offered it to you in your 401k, that's a lot cheaper way to go than buying a mutual fund that tracks the S&P 500, for which they will charge you a, a, a brokerage fee. They're going to charge you a fee to manage it. There's all these fees stacked on there that often add up to well over 1%. And sometimes with some of these more esoteric exchange-traded funds, they add up to 2%, 3%. And so all of that comes off of your rate of return. And when you're only making 7% on average in the S&P SP 500, you take off 3%, you've knocked off half of the money you're making. And over the long run, that missing piece, that fee that's being taken out by these advisors, has resulted in losing almost 50 to 60% of your retirement account. In other words, they you would have had twice as much money if all you did was buy the S&P 500 exchange-traded fund, SPY. You will have twice as much money in your account at the end of 40 years of investing than if you use somebody as an advisor who buys the same basic spread of stocks. That's completely insane. I know. And I mean, the obvious answer is, well, I wouldn't know what to do without that person, which is the whole point of that industry. Keeping but you stupid. that is what yes. we're talking about right. here. Exactly. And by the way, thank goodness that we wrote a book, Dad, because I just looked it up. And it turns out that market index funds charge between 0.05 and 0.74%, usually with go. a purchase of $1,000. And then you can add on financial advisor fees to that. Now, exchange-traded funds actually tend to charge slightly more than market index funds. So I think I just said it wrong a minute ago. ETFs charge slightly more because they have that flexibility where you can buy and sell anytime you want straight through your brokerage account. And there's actually some really interesting evidence that they cost even more than that. Um, there's an interesting article by Jason Zweig in the Wall Street Journal that talks about it. So yeah, like roughly, let's say on average, half a percent to a little over a percent for these things without any advisor fees. By the way, you just mentioned Jason Zweig, and I would want to, uh, I want to plug him because he is a really good writer. He um, is about uh, about value investing, and he's a very strong uh, a proponent of Warren Buffett style investing. And Jason's written several books about it. He's a Wall Street Journal writer. Definitely, you know, go to Amazon or Google Z W E I G. Um, I think E I G or I E G Z W. You are correct. Z W E I G. Jason, um, read anything he wrote. He's fabulous. Read everything he wrote, and you'll, <laughs> you'll have a great education in this type of investing. I've certainly got it on my reading list. He's Yeah, he's written a couple books, and I need to uh, really delve into them because, like you said, he is a great writer. Yeah. So, Dad, mm. I want to hear about the rabbits and the trains. 
Okay, so just to quickly review, um, a lot of you will hear over the time of investing about technical signals that are used by traders to try to guess where the market's going to go or a stock is going to go. And these are called um, indicators, and there's way over 100 of them that you could possibly use. Um, We've talked about one uh, on the on the moving average called the death cross. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Death cross, which is two moving averages, a 50 day uh, or a 50 period moving average using the daily periods and a 200 period moving average using the daily periods. And when the 50 day, which is the shorter one, the shorter term one and moving faster one crosses down, going down across the other line, the 200 line, it's called the death cross, and it indicates that that stock or that market is going to go down in the future. And the golden cross is the opposite. So those are the ones we've sort of talked about so far. Now we're going to add a couple more. Um, one is called the moving average convergence divergence, and the other one's called a stochastic. And these are just three, moving average, uh, moving average convergence divergence, and stochastic. These are just three, as I said, of a hundred of these things. And when Danielle was mentioning the the clouds, what what she's referring to is when I teach about this, I basically say, look, at the, when you're looking to figure out um, patterns in the stock market by looking at a chart of the index about what that chart looks like it's going to do in the future based on what it did in the past, you are literally looking at the sky and seeing a cloud and determining it's a train. Yeah, not and a good idea. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. And not even like very useful to me. I mean, I'm glad we're learning this so that I know what we're talking about here. But as you guys can see, if you're just coming to us on this episode, just so you know, we've been trying to get to this now for like mm, two months. And yeah. we, keep, we keep sort of touching on it and then getting away from it because what we actually find so much more interesting is all the long-term value investing stuff. Yep. But, um, but it's good to, it's good to know what it is because I do hear regularly people talk about technical indicators and I have sort of known what they were just from seeing you use them, but I'm glad to know about sort of the ins and outs of things. So you had said MACD and stochastic are the other two, which we still haven't touched on. Yep. So let me let me just define MACD for a second. It, we're calling it MACD because that's the initials um, of the words that, that this particular indicator uh, has for a title, moving average convergence divergence, which is a mouthful. And so everybody right. shortens it to MACD, moving average convergence divergence. And this a moving average convergence divergence tool is something that is basically considered a momentum indicator. So the the moving average is often considered the psychological uh, aspect of the market. So you get the death cross and you get the golden cross. Um, the moving average convergence divergence, MACD, is more of a momentum indicator. And it it is basically saying which way is the flow going in the market, sort of. Um, if you want to think of momentum, it's really money moving in and money moving out. So momentum going up is money, a lot of money moving in more than moving out. Momentum going down is the other uh, opposite of that. This chart is somehow indicating kind of, it's trying to predict the future, basically. It's saying... Well, they're all doing that. That's what every one of these is trying to do, right? 
So this one is trying to oh. predict the future based on momentum. Stochastic, as a contrast, is trying to predict the future based on overbuying and overselling, right? So those are a little bit different looks at the market. And all of this, to make sure everybody gets this, is looking at clouds and saying it's a train, not a bunny. So there are a lot of really good investors, including Warren Buffett, that don't think these things work well. Um, and I can assure you, for anybody that has a significant amount of money in the market, they don't work at all. And the reason that they don't work at all for bigger investors is because the bigger investors are the momentum in the yeah. market. Yeah. If you're sitting there waiting for one of these signals, you know, effectively, you are the signal. So if Buffett starts moving money into a company like Apple Computer, he starts driving the signals that are indicating somebody's moving into Apple Computer in a big mm -hmm. way and creating momentum. So mm -hmm. the, the MACD basically is just the relationship between two moving averages on the prices. And, and the typical one is the 26-day exponential moving average, or EMA, across the 12-day EMA with the 9-day EMA as a signal line. Okay, so I know I've just absolutely blown you up there, um, but just well. So before the, or last time, and and just now, you mentioned the death cross and the golden cross, which are also moving averages crossing each other. Right. And so the MACD now you're saying is kind of the same kind of thing, except more complicated with more crosses. Well, it's. I mean, think about the the the, the numbers we're using here. The 200-day moving average. Uh, being crossed by the 50-day moving average compared to the um, MACD, which typically uses a 26-day, not 200, okay? Uh -huh. So 26-day uh -huh. plot line against a 12-day plot line with a 9-day as the signal line. And so these are much, much shorter periods here that the MACD okay. uses relative to the 200 and the 50. And, and that is only to say that the, uh, this is used a lot by traders to find short-term changes in the market. And, um, and so what this is doing is basically it's a clever way of looking at the change in momentum. So as your shorter-term uh, moving average begins to go up, you've got something indicating, wow, there's money flowing in here. And it rapidly might be coming over, overbought, oversold, right? Over, overbought, typically. And, um, and you could look for a change in the market. So without getting horribly into this um, to try to explain this to you while I'm just talking, let me just say that it's a useful tool if you are a small investor and the market is moving up. I think this thing can be helpful. Um, but I don't like it anymore on this short-term basis. And I like it a little more when you're stuck in a 401k and what you own is SPY, going back to the index, and what you're afraid of is that the stock market is going to crash on you and you're yeah, going to get right? stuck losing 50% of your retirement again, just like yeah. in 2000 and just like in 2009. And here we are again, 10 years down the road, and it's, guess what? Time for another economic rainstorm. You are preaching the gospel right now because that is the exact situation that so many people are in and so many people are worried about. How do I know 
when the market is actually crashing versus just sort of a three or four day little blip which we've been having lately. Right. And I'll, I don't know anything better Here's then to use then these tools for that kind of a question, because the alternative is to just stay in there. And, and yeah. what happens when you do that and you're in a market meltdown is that the market will drift down 10% and then comes back up 5% and then drifts down again another 10 And at each time it comes back up, you go, oh, thank goodness I didn't get out. And then when it goes back down, your gut gets wrenched because you start to realize, oh, my God, it might really crater. And then it goes back up and you're, oh, okay, I'm back into, I, I'm glad I stayed in. And as people learned in 2008 and 2009 with all of their advisors telling them to stay in, stay the course, eventually the pain becomes so bad that you're forced emotionally to take your money out of this monster. And of course, when you do that, it is almost guaranteed to be the bottom. And now you're out. And now you've got, oh, thank God I got out. And of course, the next blip up turns out not to be a blip. It turns out to be the beginning of a gigantic nine-year upward trend. And you miss the first five years of it. And emotional rule of investing, it will be entirely because you sold at that exact moment. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. all your fault. The emotional rule of investing says that if you take your money out, the market will go up. <laughs> and if you leave it in, it will continue and if to you go, down. It, it'll go down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so we have to have something, even if it's clouds, even if it's just clouds, we, we need something to get our emotions under control and to make a reasonable decision about when it is time to exit in what looks to be a recession meltdown. And that comes along, those meltdowns come along regularly. We're going to have another one as sure as I'm sitting here and you're there. And it's just a question of time before people lose another 50% of their retirement portfolio and it takes them years to get it back. So these tools have evolved and I think they're really useful for an index investor. I think that's where you really need to use them. So for you, as let's say you're not, but, but if you were an index investor. It makes investor, me glad I'm not doing that, I have to say. I know, it's so scary being God. in an index. Yeah. Because you don't know what you own. You don't know well, what you own. You do know what you own. You own the U.S., essentially. You're making an investment in the U.S. That's what Buffett says. And, and I think true. he's 100% right about that. I agree. You're making an but investment in the U.S. and the U.S. economy. You, gotta, you either have to watch this stuff or you have to be willing to just ride it out for 20 years on a downturn. Right. And you have to have the time to be able to do that. And, and some of us do. And, and if you really just want to kind of set it and forget it, I mean, that's what Buffett recommends. So he I does think because he doesn't, he doesn't trust these tools or people's use of these tools. And I don't blame him. And yeah. also he knows that in the long run, things work out. Well, the problem we've got is that there's so many people in America right now who are approaching retirement who don't have even enough money to retire on. And if it gets cut down in 50% by 50%, they're really in trouble. And they're going to have to take money out of the market to live on at the low price, which is going to destroy any chance of staying retired. So this is for you guys. And believe me, that I'm just going to say this right now. This is not advice. It's not recommendations. It's just education and entertainment. And you really should seek the advice of a professional who understands your particular situation um, and can give you good advice. And then you should listen to that advice and make your decision. So don't take this as any kind of gospel. It's just education. 
but yeah, here and, it is. And everything, everything I'm talking about is my own opinion or my dad's own opinion. Right. And it's totally just me talking about myself and it's dad talking about himself. <laughs> yeah. And this is why people don't talk about this stuff to you guys, because it's scary. I mean, you got the SEC out there to, 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 uh, uh, regulate this kind of talk and they are very aggressive about going after people who are encouraging novice investors who don't know anything to do stuff like trading or options or but you we're know, not encouraging you're any you're of lose money. And we're not encouraging any of that. We just uh, literally what's happening you. here is you're teaching me some yes. stuff. Yes. If people want to listen, that's wonderful. Yes. Okay. So look, we, we got to, we got to stop for right now, but let, and let's leave it right there. And then we're going to pick it up again. I promise we're going to finish this. I know we I'm are determined, determined, and we'll wrap it up next time. So, until then, I think And then, it's Dad, time. after that next time, do we ever have to talk about this again? Never <laughs> going to talk. I'm so sorry I ever brought this up. Never <laughs> going to talk about it again. So until then, time to go play. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. 